Has being a mama changed you? I know it surely shifted my DNA. It isn't just the body changes, the baby brain, that overwhelming sense of responsibility, or even the hormone cocktail. It's so much more than all that. The big question starts to linger inside all of us, especially as our kids gain some of their own independence, and then they start going to school. That inner question, not even the busyness can cloud it out. What's my purpose now? Who am I that's not my kids? Who you used to be may be a vanishing memory. Who you now want to be can often be a foggy mist that you can't quite clarify. Surely who I am now is more than a preparer of snacks and a mom taxi. If you're ready to get in the game of your own life again, then I am ready for you. I've taken my neuroscience degree, mixed it with a dose of professional sport, marinated it in NLP certifications and lots of business and personal coaching to design The Awakened Mama, a six-week program to help mamas get back into the game. Imagine moving your really good idea into a living, breathing reality. Reconnect with your purpose. I know it can be hard to do it all on your own. Work with me and together we'll get momentum into your ideas to awaken your dormant dreams. Go to In The Game Coaching to find out more. That's I-N-T-H-E-G-A-M-E-C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G.com to find out more. And P.S. If you know a mama who could really use this lift, why not awaken the good Samaritan within you and pass on this nugget of goodwill? She will surely love you for it. Welcome to the newly cleansed and refreshed in the game podcast where we invite you to transform your dreams into reality every week we aim to touch move and inspire you to new possibilities for your life my name is sarah maxwell and is it really time for me to now intro my own show heck no bring in the aussie talent to get it done With their groundbreaking first season as The Nat and Sarah Show, the foundation has been laid for a life of manifesting your dreams. Join us as we delve into the nuts and bolts of what it really takes to bring those dream boards into reality. It's time to dust off your dreams and get back in the game of life. Are you a member of the community? Head to Facebook and search In The Game Podcast to download your three-step journal to begin the workshop-style teachings and gain exclusive access to your hosts and featured guests. Get ready to take action on your possibility. Today, we continue the conversation with a warrior. Guylaine Zumont is considered the best volleyball player in Canadian history. And yet, that doesn't even begin to tell the tale. Growing up in a small town in the province of Quebec, Her early years were filled with a father who beat her mother and three sisters trying to rally together to survive it all. At only age 13, Guylaine was moved out of home to begin playing sport full time at only 13. This was also right around the time that her closest sister, Natalie, went missing. As the youngest player ever on the Canadian national team, right into adoring fans during her pro career in Italy, the darkness of her upbringing shadowed most of her career. Consistent humiliation and abuse from coaches seemed all too familiar for her. 
But when the news that her sister had been found dead reached her in Italy, you wonder how she ever rose to the heights in sports she did. Longing for an Olympic dream, twice she would, she would shut the door on it because the price she needed to pay just seemed too high. It took a player 10 years her junior to sweep her out of retirement and reach the Athens Olympics to score the best ever result in Canadian female beach volleyball history. She's now married with two daughters. Guylaine has devoted her life to helping athletes be supported through their own traumas in sport. As co-founder of Sportaid, loosely translated as Sport Help, she rallied more than $2 million from the Quebec government to bolster her program and passionately charged up a helpline for athletes. Finally, being able to provide the lifeline she never felt she could call. And as her healing journey continues with its natural highs and lows, I'm so honored to be speaking to a woman that I played alongside and never knew most of this story. I'm an English speaking person from the same place as Guylaine, so we often speak together in what we call franglais or fringlish or whatever, however you wanna say it, but we sometimes speak in a little bit of a hybrid language. So today I just really wanna acknowledge Guylaine for jumping out of her comfort zone as she always does to bring her message in the English language, when really most of her daily life happens in French. So Guylaine, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate this. Uh, that's my pleasure, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for the introduction. Yeah. It took, it took me reading and finding out all of these things about you, Guylaine. And we've known each other for a long time, but I think in some way, knowing that you were carrying so much pain and it just explains a lot. And in those early days, I mean, what did sport represent for you when you were growing up in such a chaotic, violent home? What was sport to you? Sport was uh, a way to survive, I guess, but, but it, it represented uh, liberty, you know, mm -hmm. like I felt in, I was in my bubble when I was doing sport, you mm -hmm. know, I was always move, like just swimming, playing tennis, uh, I was um, I was lucky because I, I I was raised like just beside a, a tennis court like okay. city, you know. So so we I had all those installations close to my house, and uh, yeah. So that was a way to get outside, not be and not be be in the house because that was sometime my when my dad was there. Like we were all all uh, you know like. On, uh, on yes. yeah so in English we yeah. say on tenter hooks so it's this yeah. expression like you're just holding your breath like exactly oh. and yeah. that's true so 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 sport was just um just happiness for me yeah I yeah, just wow. yeah yeah did you dream because when you know there's all that tension in the house as a little girl and now I I'm raising a little girl She's so imaginative. She has lots of dreams. What did you, was there any space to dream for you? And did you dream about, did you have sport dreams? You know, I, a little bit, especially in uh, 76, because it was the Olympic games were in Montreal, you know? Mm -hmm. So in 76, when I was watching the Olympic games, I just thought 
I wanted to become an Olympian and I was watching gymnastic Nadia Comaneci. So she was my hero and I wanted to do the Olympic games, but then I was nine. And after that, I just knew that I loved sport, mm -hmm. but my family wasn't, you know, like we, we weren't rich and uh, we like, there wasn't any organized sport close to my house. So, but I was playing for fun tennis and doing swimming and all those things. And I was doing really good at everything, but but nothing organized before high school. Yeah. Okay, now I have to ask about this Olympic, um, well, that you saw the Olympics early on because our city in Brisbane here in Australia has been announced as um, a big potential for 2032. And sometimes I think we need to tell the story a little bit more of your girl living in a very tense home with no organized sport around you. And you see Nadia Comaneci what did the Olympics or be going to the Olympics represent for you as a little girl? I don't know. Like for me, that was the, you know, like the, it, it was for, it, it became reachable, even though it was through the TV, you know, at the time, but in my head, in my heart, I thought, okay, that's what I want to be. That's what I want to become. I, didn't know how to become an Olympian, but that's kind of put a little seed in my heart. And, and that, that's what kind, kind of kept me on, I guess, you know, I don't know if I answered your question. Brilliant. I, I think when you said reachable, um, yeah. that's it. it. It makes something that you may not have even heard about seem reachable. Yeah, and so, that, you yeah. know, at, you leave your house at 13 years old, so that's a very young age. So were you, was everybody on board? Like, did you tell people, I want to go to the Olympics? That's why I'm going away to play sport. How did that work at 13? No, no, because like, see, that's when I told you at nine, I was thinking that in my head and I would never, I wouldn't, I wouldn't speak about it. And when I started to play volleyball at 13, I, 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 I kept everything for myself because I didn't want people to think that I, my head was big. I don't know how you say it in English. You I know? got it. Be conceited or be arrogant. Humble, you know? And so I kind of, and I, that's, that's, that's the way I was. I was a very quiet girl. Like, you know, I wasn't show off at all. And uh, I had a big talent, but I didn't, I don't know. It's as if I, I, I didn't realize it. I knew some in a part of me knew it, mm -hmm. but another part of me, because of maybe because of my brother and sister, my 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 dad was comparing us very much, and I was the strongest, the fastest. The, you know, I would beat my my brother. My my dad would make races, and I I wanted to to win, but it wasn't good for my brother, you know, because yeah, he was God. older than me. So, so I was kind of uh, mm -hmm. sensitive. I knew that wasn't good, you know, to, to be better than other people in a way, like, you know, jealousy. And I felt that a lot in my, <laughs> when I, yeah, so. I'm glad you shared that because I did wonder, oh, where did she find out 
where did you start telling yourself that you should be humble? And now I get where that started. And so when you are only 13 and your first coach, your first experience, your coach is humiliating. He's like trying to break you. How did you react? Well, because it was, it was familiar. Like my dad was like that. So I just thought he was right. So I didn't, well, I was sad. I would like after practice, I would cry and, and he would, he would leave me there and they would go for an ice cream and I wouldn't go because I had a bad practice or I got mad because I had a, Mm -hmm. he he thought I had a bad temper Mm -hmm. because I would, you know, I would, my anger, like when I would make a mistake, I would get really upset. Mm-hmm. So that's it's that that's another reaction toward probably my dad's. My dad was did a lot of sport, and he he kind of pushed us to do sport. Mm-hmm. But but um, and and I had to win because in my little village sometimes there was little competition, you know, like local, you know, and and I in in my eyes, dad. I had to become the, I had to be the first, my sister was the second, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then the other people, <laughs> the village. So, so if, if I wasn't first, like mm-hmm. that was the end of the world, you know, like that, that wasn't possible in my head that happens, that happened once and my sister beat me, but, but I saw my dad, you know, like be very humiliated, come on. Um, humiliated yeah my with my brother because he wasn't doing well or he wasn't make he was playing hockey wasn't making as many as many goals or points that you know mm-hmm. so 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 in my little kid's head I thought okay I'm gonna show him that I'm the best so I kind of brought that into the volleyball world mm-hmm. so with when I had a, a coach that was authoritarian can you say yeah, that? Authoritarian, yeah. Yeah. I would kind of be really stressed. You know, my shoulder was were like that. And I would try to be to show him that I was good. And as and like that coach that summer, when I was I would make a mistake, it would make me do push-ups or it would tell me that I was, I don't know, stupid or something like that. And and so that kind of was a, a, a cycle vicious yeah vicious cycle yeah vicious cycle because more that i wanted to show him more that my my body would get rigid and that i would make mistake and you know so 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 that's it's funny how how, as an adult you can understand that hey but when you're (laughs) when you're young you try harder your body tenses up more you get more frustrated like it's that's the cycle yeah crazy i'm very good now when i work with athletes (laughs) yeah you're like i know about this oh i know how you feel totally (laughs) so i want to just fast forward for a sec out of the 13 year old gilen to the one who gets a look at her olympic dream you know like twice even it was just like right you could see that there was a possibility of the olympics but the price that you would have to pay with these well, you tell me the price. Are you talking about with these harsh coaches? What did you feel was the price that you had to pay for that those first two Olympic dreams? 
Well, the the price to pay was too high for me because for me, making the Olympic Games was was more about the the journey than mm. the the actual Olympic Games. Okay. You know, I couldn't see myself going through whatever was going for another year mm. that first that first time and and even if i my mind wanted to go to the olympic games my body was injured i mm. you know like i had tendinitis in my, in my knees my achilles and and my my mind i thought i was a i, I thought i was bad and like two months before I was one of the best player in Italy, one of the, one of the best player in the world, because, you know, Italian, the Italian league were among, I was among the best player in the world. So, so for me, it wasn't make it didn't make sense. Like, okay, hold on. I want to ask about that. So you remind me of someone who has anorexia and thinks they're fat. So you literally thought I'm a bad player. I'm no good. And then you get awarded second best player in the hardest league in the world. What do you do with that information? Well, that was like, you know, like a couple of months before, you know, so though, and like, I know, like it's hard to imagine even me today looking back, but, but with that kind of, of, um, of coach, you know, like, very you know the look the the way he would treat us he would spit on the floor when <laughs> with that look of dis, disgust and and yeah so so and he would tell me things because I, w- I i was coming back from the italy and he knew that i was the best player you know but but and it wasn't just it was not just with me it was the way he was treating my the other players because me that was one thing but to see him you know like behave with other players and tell things that you know and and the thing is that i i played in italy for four years you know professional before coming back to to that olympic well Mm. quality like trying to come back for the olympic yes i didn't even try to come back you know i was one of the six starter for sure you know there was no but but before i came back i i knew in my mind like i like my intuition was telling me not to come back but i like i i told myself okay i'm gonna try it he's changed i'm changed so i should you know like i'm strong now and so I should be able to go through it and, you know, but, and then I, you know, I tried to call the, 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 the federation, the Canadian federation, they wouldn't, they would just listen to me and say, oh, you're right, get in. Yeah. But didn't do anything. And I'm not the only one like before the years before. I was going to say, there's a lot of women in your era who speak that. about this coach in particular and very yeah. traumatic experience I want I hope people are picking like I'm picking up a lot listening to you around how we start to internalize like a voice let's say it's a father or a coach and that voice starts to be our own voice our own message to ourselves is I'm no good 
like the, the self-talk, the way we talk, we're almost like taking something from the outside and it becomes inside of us, which is really hard when you're trying to navigate yeah. abuse and what's happening to you. Because in a way, you're, I'm sure your head was saying things like that inside of your own head. Yeah, that's, yeah, for sure. You know, like I'm not good enough and, you know, like that kind of, that always come back to that for me. I'm not good enough, you know, like I'm trying my best, but it's not good enough, you know, like, I'm, you know, I was making a mistake and it was just, it would just take me out of, of the court, put me on the bench just to punish me. But so, and the thing is that I was in reaction to his um, facial expression because he had the same facial expression than my dad. So that I kind of, I, I saw it. I was, you know, that I, I was, um, how do you say, déclenché? Oh, ooh. Déclenché. Oh, Give know. me another word. <laughs> Give me another yeah. French word. I don't know, déclenché. Well, oh. um, you, you would get unwound, like you'd come apart? You no, I, no, that triggered me. Ah, trigger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is trigger, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So like his express, facial expressions were triggering me when he was mad or when he would look on the side and spit on the floor and look at us and, you know, tell us that we were peace, like, um, mm. like you know, high school kid. Like we were like women on the national team, you know? And, you know, so it's, it, it can, well, maybe it was hard. It would, it would um, touch me more because of your background, um, my, my background, but like I, like I realized I kind of, that's the time, that's the time when I stood up for myself and I said, mm. excuse the expression, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, that, that translates. You have but to watch F, this on YouTube. Yeah. You want to see what so, she said. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just, I kind of said, "That's enough." You know, yeah. I'm leaving. And he said, "If you leave the gym, you're not coming back." And I said, "I'm not coming back." You know, and I just. But you did left. it. You left that day. I left that day, and I just, and he tried to convince me to come back, but I came. I, I did a meeting with them the day after or a couple of days after I wrote everything on the, on a piece of paper because it was a kind of coach that would talk me back or talk people, you know, it was very charismatic and nice outside of the court mm. and on, of the gym. It was really nice. So I, I wrote everything on the, on a sheet and, and to, told them everything that triggered me. And that weren't right to me, and that and why I was leaving the team, and why I was giving up my Olympic dream. I told wow. him, and he was crying. And wow. you know what he told me? He said because I told him, you know, my my dad, you know, like you you triggered, like your facial expression triggers me. And I told him my dad was violent, was beating us, and and he cried. He was touched, and he told me that he was himself by his father uh you know and abuse doesn't that explain oh goodness yeah the and cycle I, of violence exactly and i you know like now today i can tell you i'm not surprised but at the time i was kind of oh my god 
and I had some empathy for him, but but my mind was made. I couldn't go back. My body was aching, was hurt, hurting. Uh, my self-esteem was in like very low. So and and in my mind, my Olympic dream was finished. Like I didn't want to come back, and I didn't believe him because I. I left the team the first time four years before that. So I knew that he would not change, even though he was telling me that. So, yeah. Elaine, so. your story is very helpful for people around triggers. I'm so yeah. glad we figured out what déclenché was because <laughs> <laughs> this is a huge, huge, huge word. And I thought yeah. about it when you said when you were in Italy and you thought, well, I'm strong now, you know, I can go back. And yeah. I feel that this is important for people that are experiencing this, when you go back into a situation that triggers you, you go back. Like it's literally like you're back at home, like you're a teenager in that situation. And, you know, this coach, in my view, hearing that story is literally the volleyball situation and him wanting to control was triggering his upbringing. Now that doesn't excuse it because he's still responsible for how he's treating everyone. And so that's a huge thing to get as well. You know how you said I had empathy, but then at the same time, he's responsible. And I would say he would have repeated it because it was bigger than him. He hadn't healed that trauma. So, yeah. So, I mean, so, so that's a good way, a segue around trauma therapy, because we're using this word all of a sudden, putting the word trauma in there. That word didn't exist when you were moving from that, you know, quitting the team. So what has your therapy been over the years around trauma? I did. I did quite a bit (laughs) of therapy, you know. Um, I did. um, I read many books Mm -hmm. about about psychology. But the, the story of my sister, losing my sister when I was younger, and not having any response because she disappeared for nine years before they discover her body. So those nine years, I kind—I of, was 16. So from 16 to 25, I read books. I read spiritual book, you know, about karma, about healing. And so that, you know, that helped me in a way because I kind of, I kind of saw the, you know, the last of my sister as a way. F- I had, I knew that I had to to understand some lessons in it from my books, the books I I read. Like not everybody thinks that way, but you know, and 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 even even though I'm not Catholic or you know, well, I am from you know because my parents gave me that that uh, religion, but. But when my sister disappeared, I kind of put it all the religion, you know, like didn't want to believe in anything. But then I found my own religion, my own. And I had a I had a faith and my sister became my angel in a way, you know, and I she she was always with me. And sometime when I was having trouble or I was sad, I would just think about my sister and and ask her to help me and I would do some ritual about my you know like for my for my sister even when we didn't know where she was 
because I told, like you, you read, we, we made a pact, her and, and myself, yes. and uh, if she would ever disappear, she would tell me, she would awesome. phone me. So, because my oldest sister made a, made a, uh, uh, she ran away. away as well. Yeah, she ran away when, when we were younger. So, but anyway, wow. so I did, but I did a lot of like, like therapy, like, like more um, normal therapy, you know, like with the psychologist I did. Can I just ask a question about your sister before you continue with that therapy? What was the feeling for you? between when she was disappeared and missing and you didn't know versus when you knew she had died, she was dead? Well, um, that, that brought a big relief. Yeah. You know, like when, when they found her body, it was sad, but for me, it kind of, I knew that she would have told me she would not have disappeared and, you know, be some in, in another country yeah. or, you know, she would have tried to reach me. So when, when they found her body, I was like relief and my, my mom as well, you know, like it was, was, it's, it's always important to, to have that, mm -hmm. uh, that mourning, that's grief. It's part yeah. of the grief, but though all those years I was, I was looking for her when it, and, and I was traveling all over the world. So whenever I would arrive in, in Japan or in, you know, in Europe, I was, I was, I was hoping deep down inside of me that I would, you know, bounce into her or, you know, so, so, but I knew like, I, don't, I know it's not rational, but some it's, it's always, that's what they say now. Like, you know, like you need to, see the body and I so yeah that made a big difference but I think it's it 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 made me become a better person and uh, and you know like I kind of uh, yeah I did a lot of I did a lot, lot of workshop and uh, you know personal growth because of that and I I went to a different direction in different direction mm -hmm to find the truth mm -hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. so and yeah and I I went uh, I did yeah a lot of uh, personal growth and energetic treatments too as yeah. well okay that helped me a lot and I even communicate with with my my sister yeah. and and the thing I asked her I, I asked her what is my mission and mm -hmm. she said it's to put spirituality in sport Oh, so, wow. Interesting. So huh. that was in 93 when just the day before her funerals. And when I made the Olympic Games in 2004, mm -hmm. if you have a picture, if you look at the pictures, yes. the picture where I'm like, wow, you know, like, yeah. like with the big smile and looking up. And at that moment, I thought about that. Mm -hmm. And from 94 on, I've been, you know, doing public speaking talking about my sister not mm. especially the last in the last five years and you know and talking about my personal story and it's big like it's a big part of who I am that you know like that trauma and but you know and I think if my like if I was able to put my 
my fist on the table with that the national team coach was because of, of my sister. I said, no way. Like, you're not going to treat me and, and the other people, like players like that. But the other players did, you know, like they were happy to be there. They didn't get, you know, they didn't care how they were treated because that was their journey. Like I'm not judging them, but, you know. Yeah, I think everybody has a different, because I know a lot of them yeah. are not having a good journey in the end, but, you know, they protect themselves and they think they can make it through. You're surviving it in their way. But I want to get back to spirituality and sport, which is really cool. When you said that, I didn't know you were going to talk about 2004, but the the team that you ended up going and having the best result ever for Canada at the Olympic Games for female um, beach volleyball, I mean, how was that spiritual? Because it was in, in a lot of ways. Like I felt that watching that journey was spiritual. What do you think? Well. You know, in 98, I stopped playing volleyball. I think you were, and you kept playing at the time, you know? Well, I just started. I was I was just starting, actually. You were starting. You yeah. were starting. So I stopped playing beach volleyball and volleyball, like all, all the volleyball. Mm-hmm. And I, I met my husband and I stopped playing. I did my, um, my formation in um, helping relationship I became a therapist okay so those were three years of work on my like working you know on myself uh, working all the relationship like with my father mother and husband you know like that was the focus of that and then I became a therapist a therapist and I was supposed to start my own bit my 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 uh-huh. own how do you say like a clinic maybe or therapy? Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, my own clinic and I have my 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 clients and everything. But Annie Martin yeah. phoned me up and asked me to play with her for the Olympic Games. And I was not even finished with my school. That was the last year. So I kind of said yes to Annie because even before she called, which was magic, I I I was telling my husband, I felt like I'm I could play again, like with all the, the, with all the, the, the things that I, you know, that I, how do you say? Let go of. Let go of. I feel that I would be so much better and all the tools and all the strategies that I learned in the last few years, I would be awesome. So Annie called, called me and I said, yes. Oh my God. I know what <laughs> and I mean. by the way, she was 10 years younger than you. She so 14. I, Oh, 14 years. Oh, my. Okay. Younger. And yeah. I know how scared she was to do that. That was very, like, courageous of her to, as I well. Al- I always says that Annie was the perfect girl, player partner for me. I agree. She had the courage to call me. Like, many people could have called me. I'm and she's sure. quite shy and, under, un, you know, like, humble. And for her, yeah. it took yeah. big courage. And she yeah. was, my journey was a lot with her and, and she's the spiritual, there's a spiritual connection in there too with her. So I think that's so but, cool. You know, we developed that because when I started to play with her, I kind of insisted because that was my idea. 
that we needed to to work with a, a, a mental coach. You you got to know him, I guess. And so we found a mental coach, and I wanted her to read the Peaceful Warrior. That's a that's a wonderful book for us. That was my first spiritual book. Well, Matt, my so, partner gave it to me. Now, yeah. so, so that's that, that's the book that I wanted her and and um, and Vincent to read, and then she read the book that uh, from my uh, the school that I was going. To. Yeah. So she read those books, and so we had ah. a very a very strong connection, but not just spiritual was even like you know like we 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 never we. We never let any malaise or non how do you say it? Yeah, like, like unsaid or unsaid. like negative energy, maybe. Yeah. So, and we would just sit down and sometimes cry because, you know, like when you, you are 24 hours and two months together as a team, it's hard. So we just, we, we, yeah. So, and then wow. we kind of uh, put the, like the magic, the magic, happens with any our connection was so strong and i don't know i just we loved each other you know something was very strong at that level even if we had difficulties we respect was there love was there she was like my little sister and we're still like she's still my best friend today and i, I when she, whenever she needs wow. something yeah, you know uh, or she she phoned me and asked me about things and you know i'm like her oldest sister so oh, oh that's me. like makes me emotional so nice <laughs> yeah. so, so yeah so Guilen, like there's just so much to unpack but mm. tell us where you're at today with trauma um, I, I do have this burning thought, where are you at with your dad? Um, and how, what's your, your kind of, you have such a heart for other people. So these athletes, I'm asking a lot in one question now, yeah. these athletes that you want to help moving forward. Yeah. Like what is your dream or what's your vision for future athletes? Yeah. Well, my vision, my dream right now, and I'm working on it, is to have a kind of a circle of trust. Mm. It's a okay. healing circle with victims, like athletes, victim of, of abuse, mm -hmm. whenever, whatever abuse, and where we, we can just be together, share, you know, be emotional or you know or and just just uh entraide, entraide, you know help each other and support and yeah support and help support. Each other. yeah yeah and uh, and uh, that's my dream to to be in charge of those th those kind of circle of trust and but i'm i'm doing like one-on-one -on -one with with athletes or that went through what I've been through or and sometimes I just you know like some, I, I work with athletes where it's it's uh, it's lighter but yeah. but my like the my dream is to bring like healing with athletes like you know like in in the sport environment because you know like we like I always think that when you played sport at that level, whatever level, like even university level or club level, 
you should become a like a stronger woman not a weaker woman like I did like I you know I lost my self-esteem too many times in my career and so but that was 30 years ago 20 maybe 20 years ago I stopped playing 16 years ago but now today into 2020 2021 like there's still like coaches that are still you know like crossing the lines or you know uh, having behavior that they should not have and sometimes it's just because they're not supervised you know people so but do you know what I just got from you Guylaine that I never saw it so clearly as till today that the healing never happened for the coaches you're the perfect example the healing never happened so he became the abuser mm-hmm. and the fact that you're focusing on healing and circle of trust to me, a lot of players become coaches, you know, like they have their, and, and if they're not healed, they go like the transition of pain, you know, at first there's sadness, like the psychology starts turning to perpetrate. They start to become that thing that happened to them. And it's like that cycle of healing with the athletes to me has my, my mind went to, you know, who actually needs healing is the freaking coaches. And we, that's a whole other can of worms, but let's say if it's too late for that, then at least if you catch early some healing, then like you said, we don't have to repeat this. Yeah. And that's why I think that's, that's the responsibility of the institution 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 yeah yeah and the federations and the club that to supervise well and to educate well their coaches because sometimes they cross the line or they don't do the right things but nobody tells them so they just keep going you know so it's not always, they're not all, you know, like, I, I understand why they keep going. Nobody tells them. And the parents are scared to, they don't want to say anything because their kids will be, um, you know, so, so they just say that, oh, that's sports. Yeah, Coaches like when you watching the gymnastics Netflix episode about the parents, I really saw that there's this belief that a certain way of coaching is required for success. And that's this, I think this belief is in the coaching world. It's in the administrative world. And then it's kind of transcends over to the parents where they think maybe my kid needs to actually be abused and traumatized in order to succeed. And that belief Mm -hmm. I think is really destructive because like, I think it could be great to have more and more stories of healthy. So for example, your final, and we'll just wrap it up like that, is your Olympic dream was achieved through a spiritual mm-hmm. connection of joy. Yeah. Like your talent could come together with another talent, Annie Martin, with a beautiful coach who, you know, everybody can rise together. So that to me was the success that you had, not all of this other crap yeah. that was being served as the way to get to the Olympics. Yeah, no, I feel, I feel blessed to mm-hmm. Annie, you know, like that she called me because mm-hmm. she gave me my, 
my chance, like the chance to make the Olympic Games, you know. So I, I, I'm always well. I told her many times, and I tell many times, you know, during my speeches and stuff. But that's the truth, that, you know. Like I'm, I owe her. <laughs> so yeah. Wow. Well, Guylaine, like for cert, the circle of trust for the work that you did with coming up with the idea of Sportaids, you know, sport help like that revolutionizing this idea of support. I mean, I think your message is so um, important because you've been through it and you are a work in progress. Like we all are dealing yeah. with your, your traumas every day, but thank yeah. you for sharing it with us. I think this message is hot right now because people are talking about it finally and there's more to come. So thank you for being a voice for some people who are still holding it inside. Thank you. And sorry about my English. thing, But, you know, I, I thought you were that. so articulate, Guylaine. And I also was laughing inside thinking together we're the perfect, um, <laughs> you know, when you couldn't find the words, I was like, I know what she wants to say. She wants to say letting go. And you figured yeah. out déclencher. I couldn't get that one. So together we came across as the very, the amazing <laughs> English person. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> exactly. Merci beaucoup. Merci. Ciao. We so appreciate you listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community on Facebook by searching In The Game Podcast. There you can download your three-step journal and participate in our weekly live video chats. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review. <laughs>